passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Well, good morning, uh, church. Uh, We are continuing our journey through Colossians this morning. Um, This is our penultimate Sunday in this book, so we're going to spend one more week after this week uh, in this uh, this book as we continue our journey uh, to the end of of Colossians. We're in Colossians 3 this morning. Uh, Next week uh, on Christmas Eve, we're going to spend some time uh, considering the Christmas story. We're going to be looking at a a couple different passages uh, in the morning and then also in the evening, focusing on the Christmas story on uh, New Year's Eve, which is the following Sunday. uh, One of our pastors from Spirit Lake, uh, Stephen, is going to be here, and he'll be sharing with us uh, the story of the prodigal son, which is a a perfect way for us to start uh, the new year. In January, we're going to finish Colossians, and then we're going to spend some time in the book of Philemon. And Philemon is uh, just one chapter long, and you might be saying, well, how on earth are you going to spend a few weeks in just that one book? We want to spend some time in Philemon because it's a great book uh, to follow up our time in uh, Colossians. Colossians and Philemon were both written at the exact same time while Paul was in prison in Rome. And they were actually delivered uh, at the exact same time by the exact same people. And Philemon was one of the leaders in the church in Colossae. And so these two books go together. And it's important for us to read uh, Philemon after we finish uh, Colossians. I think it's going to be helpful for us, especially when we consider this morning's passage. This morning's passage is uh, one that looks at the uh, topic of slavery in the ancient world. And Philemon is a short book that undermines the first century cultural understanding of slavery. And so if you read this morning's passage that talks about slavery, you might come away with some questions. And the reason why we're going to jump into Philemon is because it answers most of those questions. And indeed, it answers a lot of the objections that some people share about the Christian faith. A book from the 1950s, I believe, uh, called Why I Am Not a Christian, looks at slavery and passages like this one this morning as one of the primary reasons why many people cannot believe in Christianity. And so we're going to spend some time in Philemon looking at how that book undermines the idea of slavery as well as how it talks about forgiveness and the freedom that we have in Christ. This morning, we're going to finish uh, what we started last week. Last week, we talked about households, and we talked specifically about the family. A couple weeks before that, we we began this this journey through Colossians 3, looking at the character of Christ that each of us is to clothe ourselves with. We talked about clothing ourselves with uh, with the character of Christ in the context of the church community. Last week, clothing ourselves with the character of Christ in the family or in the household. And this week, we look at clothing ourselves with the character of Christ in our vocations, in our jobs, in our careers, in our workplaces. If there's ever an area of our lives where we need God to speak into and tell us how to clothe ourselves with the character of Christ, I would argue that this is it. Paul writes to encourage Christians uh, in Colossae to see how Jesus changes the way that they work. And the same is true for us this morning. 
This morning, as we look at this text, we're going to see how Jesus changes the way we work, whether that is as a pastor, as a teacher, as a business person, as a custodian, as a factory worker, as a stay-at-home mom, as a retiree, as a farmer, as a cashier, or anything else that you can think of. This passage tells us how Jesus transforms the way that we look at our calling or our vocation. Would you pray with me as we begin this morning's passage? God, we again come before you before we read your word, just rejoicing that your word and indeed your spirit speak to every single facet of our lives because you care about every single piece of our lives. And so God, this morning we ask that you would help us in areas where we are stubborn. Help us to kneel to the sanctifying surgery of your grace. In areas where we are blind, we ask that you would open our eyes to the majesty of what you want to do for us and in us. And God, in areas where we are broken, we ask that you would mend our weary hearts with your love. Be with us now as we read your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I mentioned we'll be in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 22 this morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to follow along as I read aloud. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. I mentioned earlier that we'll be looking at the book of Philemon and this idea of slavery when we get to that book, but it is important for us to just highlight three brief things about slavery in the first century, things that we have likely covered here before as we've looked at passages such as 1 Timothy that talks about slavery or Ephesians that talks about slavery. The word bondservants here really just means slaves, and many of you likely have translations that reflect that meaning. Paul is referring to a group of people in the Roman Empire that had no rights. They weren't considered to be people. They were considered to be property by the rest of the empire. Some estimates uh, place the total number of slaves in the Roman Empire at the time of Paul's writing to about 60 million people. That's about half the population of the Roman Empire. And so, with so many slaves in that day and age, it was inevitable for both slaves and free people to join together and be converted by the gospel. And in many cases, it was likely that both slave and master would find themselves in the exact same church once they had become Christians. And so Paul is writing to this context, a difficult context of how do we navigate the social expectations placed on us and also the reality of who we are in Christ. Second thing that the New Testament makes clear about slavery is simply that the personhood of both free persons and slaves is unique or is a reality compared to the rest of culture. 
The rest of culture denied that a slave was actually a person. They denied that a slave uh, had any rights, and the gospel says completely otherwise. Paul, just a few verses before our passage this morning, in verse 11 of chapter 3, says this, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul wants to make abundantly clear in the New Testament and the other writers do the exact same, that one's ability to approach God, one's status before God does not depend on whether you are a free person or a slave. The New Testament and indeed the Old Testament both argue that every single person has inherent, intrinsic human dignity, that who they are as a person does not matter on their social status, but instead is rooted in their role or the the truth that they are created in the image of God. The third thing that we see from the New Testament is that the ancient system of slavery is not the same thing that comes to mind when we think of slavery today, though it still was an ugly thing. Slavery was not tied to race, but rather to economics in the first century. And so if you didn't have enough money to pay your bills, then you would sell yourself into slavery. This, of course, meant that there was an opportunity for you to free yourself or to earn your freedom after a period of slavery. And indeed, uh, statistics and research shows that most slaves earned their own freedom at some point in their lives. That's with all of this in mind that we can apply these verses to a very different context today. We can apply it to our work. You see, each of us comes this morning with a very different vocational experience. Some of you have been out of work for one reason or another for, uh, for years. Some of you ha- have good bosses. Some of you have bad bosses. Some of us feel valued at work. Others of us feel like little more than property, like this passage speaks to. Some of us are paid well. Some of us feel like we are barely paid at all. And it's in these contexts that Paul has much to say to us this morning. So let's look at these first few verses here, starting in verse 22 and going through the first half of verse 24. It talks specifically to slaves when it says this, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Let's pause right there. Paul begins by addressing slaves and charging them to obey their earthly masters. And it might not be explicitly clear to us on just a cursory reading, but already in this first sentence, Paul is undermining the institution of slavery. Already, Paul is reminding that these men and women who find themselves socially and economically as slaves of their true value and their true worth because of who the true Lord of the house is, and it isn't their owner. Something we don't pick up in our English translations is the connection here, the interchangeability of the word master and the word Lord. These are the exact same words in Greek. And they're used throughout this passage interchangeably. And and Paul is trying to establish something here by his use of this word. So our first sentence literally says something like this. Slaves, and everything, obey those who are your earthly lords, 
by way of eye service, uh, but not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity fearing the Lord. Paul is already contrasting this idea of earthly lords with our true Lord, and he is reminding us, no matter our status, no matter how much authority we have in the workplace, of who the true Lord, who has the true authority in our workplace is. And by extension, who it is that should have our obedience in the workplace. This can radically change the way that we look at our work. In our work, what if we looked at every task, every duty, every assignment, every responsibility that has been handed down to us, whether it's from an employer or a supervisor or a board of directors, what if we looked at these things not only as a chance to do what has been asked of us, but even more importantly, to see it as an opportunity to do what God has asked of us in that moment. You see, your earthly obedience is a chance for you to demonstrate heavenly obedience. Your obedience here on earth is an opportunity for you to be obedient to your master, to your Lord in heaven. This absolutely touches the idea of ethics in the workplace. We shouldn't do anything unethical. We shouldn't cut any corners because we are working for Christ. But even more generally than that, it changes the way that we view work in general. It changes our mindset. It changes the ultimate focus of our work, the ultimate end of our work, not to just pleasing other people, but instead to pleasing God. And when we have that mindset, we are well on our way to viewing our work as worship. But it would be wrong for us to just look at our work as though we are only serving Christ and we are not serving our employer. We are not serving our customers. We are not serving our board of directors. Colossians chapter 3 verse 22 calls on us to obey, but more than just telling us to obey, it tells us how we are to not obey and how we are to obey. So, Paul says that we should not obey as a form of eye service. Many of us have likely worked with people who are far more productive, far more on task, and far less lazy when their boss or their supervisor is around. I recall working in Chicago with a coworker who regularly took naps in the church basement or in the church attic when the boss wasn't in town. Not to be outdone, one of uh, the fellow interns with me decided that he was going to start taking naps in the sanctuary. At least my coworker had the decency to hide from the guests and the visitors who stopped in the church office. We've all been surrounded by people who only work when the eye is on them. And apparently that was the case in the first century as well. Slaves, whether it was true or not, whether it was perceived or real, had this idea or this perception of being lazy according to everyone else. They were people that you constantly had to light a fire under for them to actually accomplish their tasks. And so Paul, as he's writing to this group of people that has this reputation of being lazy, says that this should never be the case for those who are in Christ, for those who have been clothed with Christ, that they shouldn't just care about working when people are watching, 
but they should care about their work in any and every situation. Notice another reason that Paul gives here for why we shouldn't obey. We shouldn't obey just to be people pleasers. Now, at face value, this phrase could simply mean that we are not to care about pleasing our bosses or our board of directors or our customers or whatever the case may be. At face value, it says that we should only care about serving and and making God proud. But is that really what this passage is saying? Consider for a second the, the motive that Paul is unearthing here in our hearts. When someone is a people pleaser, why do they do this? Or to use modern day language, what makes a person a suck up? Is it because they genuinely want to bring joy to their employer? Or is it because they want to advance their own career? Is it because they want to advance their own position or their own financial position in the workplace? And they see the easiest way to do that is by pleasing their boss, by sucking up to their boss. I think it's the second, isn't it? People pleasers in the workplace ultimately don't care about their boss. They care about themselves. Their primary focus is on themselves. This is the exact same thing with those who work only as a form of eye service, only when someone is watching them. They don't see their employer. They don't see God as worth their effort and their worth, and so they slouch off, or they think of what, only of what they can get out of their job. And Paul is writing to this group of people and saying that that should not be the motive for your obedience. Your own personal gain should not be the motive for your obedience. Because that's the epitome of selfishness. You see, Paul's words here are a strong, powerful message for us who live under authority in the workplace. It's simply this, those who are under authority must serve others, not themselves. We must serve others and not ourselves. This means that there should be a genuine concern in our work for the success of whoever employs you. A genuine concern, a genuine desire to see your company succeed, to see your employer succeed. Your concern must go beyond just your paycheck. It must go beyond just doing the minimum required. It must go beyond what you desire out of the job. You may not see yourself in a a vocation or in a job for the long term, and that's okay. But the root of your obedience should not be trying to get out of that job and up the ladder. But instead, should be to serve others. It doesn't matter if it's a summer job. It doesn't matter if it's a part-time job to earn some extra cash when you have some spare time. It's not something, it doesn't matter if it's what you consider to be your career. It is something worth doing in God's eyes. And until we grasp that point, we won't fully see what it means for us to be clothed with the character of Christ. But Paul doesn't spend all of his time telling us not to, how to not obey, or how not to obey. Instead, he also gives us a positive view of what obedience looks like. Rather than serving ourselves, we are to 
serve God. So there's two, there's two parts here to this charge in verse 22. There's a charge to genuinely serve others, not yourself. And then there's also a charge to serve God. You see, slaves were frequently charged with fearing their masters. And many of the slaves had every reason to fear their masters. But here in verse 22, Paul doesn't tell slaves to fear their masters, but instead he tells them to fear the master, the Lord. He ignores the cultural charge and instead tells them to live in holy reverence and holy trepidation of who God is is. And this is continued in verse 23 when Paul tells them to work heartily, or maybe a better way of of looking at that is to work with every single fiber of your being for the sake of God, as though you were serving God and not men. And so here we see the paradox of our calling in the workplace, the, the paradox of being clothed with Christ. At the same time, we are charged to serve others and not ourselves. We're also charged to primarily serve the Lord. Now, don't boil this down to an application that says the only way that you can faithfully serve God in your work is by sharing the gospel, or the only way that you can faithfully serve God in work is by listening to Christian music, or by not swearing, or on and on and on. That's, that's a part of it. But God genuinely cares about the work you are doing. And when you do your best, God is pleased. You see, those who are under authority must remember the highest authority is not their earthly employer, but is instead the Lord Christ. Paul here is reframing the hierarchy of work in the first century and by extension the hierarchy of work here today. Christ's lordship that we find in verse 24 is key. Christ is Lord and he will give us an inheritance for our faithfulness in the workplace. Remember, this is written to slaves, men and women who had no chance of an inheritance, men and women who barely got paid if they got paid at all. And so can you imagine the shock of hearing these words? Their earthly masters never paid them. They had no rights. They were often beaten by these masters. But instead, now they have a new heavenly master. He has given them responsibilities, yes, but he has also given them rights. He comforts them and strengthens them through his spirit rather than beating them. And he does not pay them their wages, what they deserve, but instead gives them an inheritance, an unmerited gift from God, something that they could not and will not ever deserve. What a great, powerful picture of who God is that is important for us to get in the midst of this discussion on work. We have a great, glorious master who has given us a beautiful, high, powerful calling here in our workplace, in our callings, in our jobs. It doesn't matter what that calling is, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a student, a blue-collar worker, a white-collar worker, a farmer, whatever else. 
those of us who are under authority are to serve others and to serve the Lord Christ. Paul continues, picking up in the second half of verse 24. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. What we touched on in the previous verse is made explicit here. We have to have this right mindset for all of our vocations, whatever our calling is. We have to remember that Jesus is the reigning king. We have to remember that Jesus is seated on the throne. And because Jesus is the Lord of all, he is also the Lord of our work. And so by extension, we get Paul's statement here, this statement that says, you are serving the Lord Christ. A better way of of looking at this is to look at this as an implicit command. Not just you are serving the Lord Christ, but serve the Lord Christ. It is in the midst of this language here in verse 24, this language about slaves and masters, that these verses are important. They are important for us because they give us another lens for us to look at this topic of work. This word serve here, when it says to serve the Lord Christ, or you are serving the Lord Christ, is a, is a word that is used and implies the service of a slave. As a reminder to these earthly slaves that their master slash Lord is their owner, or excuse me, is not their owner, but is their creator and king. And it's Jesus that they serve as though they are slaves. Now, this may sound a bit unsettling for us today, but have you ever considered the fact that we, having been freed from slavery to sin, are now slaves to Christ? Romans 6 tells us this, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have, been committed, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and, having been freed from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Many of us are familiar with the name Aristotle. Aristotle was a famous Greek philosopher who lived hundreds of years before Jesus, and Aristotle wrote a lot about slavery. He thought it was a good part of the Greco-Roman culture. He thought it was a natural thing. And so in these writings on slavery, he described what a slave was. And I think it's appropriate for us to, to, and helpful for us to look at this definition. Aristotle described as a slave, uh, described a slave as anyone who, quote, by his nature is not his own, but another's. Another excerpt of Aristotle describes the purpose of a slave. He describes the, the slave as one who, quote, is an instrument intended for the purpose of their master. When I read those two descriptions of what a slave is, I just can't help but think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 6, where he says, you are not your own, but you have been bought with a price. Or his words in Ephesians chapter 2, that gives us the purpose of our salvation. It is for us to please God. It's to produce good works with our lives. We are not our own. Our purpose, the purpose of our lives is to please our heavenly master. And so no matter what your calling is, no matter what your vocation is, we are called to serve God as though a slave is to serve his master. 
And in the context of our vocation, we do that by faithfully doing what God has called us to do each and every day. Both the things that we deem significant and those we deem insignificant when we work. In case we don't understand this, in case this doesn't sink into us, Paul gives us a warning in verse 25. If we do not take this charge to heart, we are given this warning that the one who does not serve the Lord Christ, the one who does not take seriously this charge, will be paid back for the wrong that they have done. God charges each and every one of us, whether we are slave or free, whether we are the employee or the employer, to live out our vocation and our calling in a way that honors God. And if we do not, if we are, uh, are unproductive if we're at work, if we are unethical at work, if we give a half-hearted effort at work, if we do not, then all of those things will be accounted for on the last day. Paul gives us a, a great high calling, but also a warning. But the good news is we serve a good, merciful God who through his son is, over, is willing to overlook the faults and failures of his children. And so rest in that truth as you seek to serve God. Let's read our, our final uh, passage this morning, our final verse. This one's directed to masters in our context. It's those who are in positions of authority in the workplace. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Paul has spent the most of his time addressing those who have no authority. Now he turns to those who have all of the authority in that ancient world. And he reminds them of where they really stand, where their authority ultimately comes from and who is author has authority over them. And briefly... Just notice here how although the actions look different, the root calling is essentially the same. Paul has told slaves to not think of themselves, but to think of others in the workplace. And he says the exact same thing here to those who are in positions of authority, that they are to use their authority to serve others. It doesn't matter if you have authority in the workplace over one person or, a, or over a hundred. Your God-given charge attached to that authority is to treat people justly and to treat people fairly. This means not taking advantage of people. This means not underpaying them. This means not withholding benefits. This means not giving them the very minimum while you heap more and more upon yourself. This verse is certainly not a call for socialism, but uh, it is a charge for us to take seriously our calling as those who are in authority, to go to great lengths to make our employees feel honored and valued. So there's this charge here for those who have authority to use that authority to serve and bless others. But there's a second charge here. Those who are in positions of authority must remember that they are under authority. That they are under authority. Paul concludes with this charge or this reminder to these earthly master lords here that they are under an infinitely higher master lord. All of their work must be done in light of that truth. 
that they are not the final say. They are not the last authority, but instead have to be accountable to their own master, the creator of the universe. And so just as those who are under authority are to do all they can to seek opportunities to serve others genuinely and to serve Christ, the same is true for those who are in positions of authority. They are to seek opportunities to use their authority to serve others genuinely, to treat them justly and fairly, and to serve the Lord Christ. That's what this passage ultimately boils down to. No matter what your calling is, no matter how much authority you have or you don't have, to be clothed with the character of Christ is simply to have a genuine desire to serve others and to serve the reigning king. It's a genuine desire to serve others and to serve the reigning king. Colossians makes it clear that it doesn't matter what your calling is. You can be a CEO, you can be a middle manager. You can work construction, you can work as a mechanic, you can teach kids, you can stay at home with kids. Whatever your calling is, you are called to live out a genuine desire to serve others and to serve the reigning king. That's our charge this morning. And so take, the, take some time this week and think about how you can tangibly serve others with the majority of your day. doesn't matter if you're retired or not. How can you genuinely serve others, not yourselves, in your calling? How can you serve the king in your calling? Examine your hearts for any motives of selfishness that may exist in you. Are you just going through the motions at work? Are you just doing this job to get a paycheck? Are you just doing this job while you constantly have your eyes on other things that you can advance yourself in? It's not wrong for us to get excited about a paycheck. It's not wrong for us to to look to advance or change our careers, but we do a disservice to the people we work for, the people that work for us. And we do a disservice to Christ when that consumes all of our thoughts and our minds and all of our effort at work. So remind yourself of your true boss. Remind yourselves that you don't just work for some other person, but you work for the Lord of the universe, the sovereign king of all. And how you live out your day-to-day life, how you live out your time in the workplace deeply matters to him. So take the effort to remind yourself constantly of the words of this passage that you were charged to serve Christ as a slave serves his or her master. But also, take time to remind yourself of the great, incredible inheritance that stands awaiting you as your reward as a faithful servant. And finally, just a charge to view your work as worship. Don't view your work as something just to pay the bills. Don't view it as a necessary evil. Don't view it as a four-letter word. Instead, just view it as an opportunity to worship God, to actually worship God through your work. All that we've looked at this morning is ultimately rooted in a verse that we looked at a couple weeks ago, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to the Father through him. 
Whatever you do, whether you sweep floors or work on computers, whether you work with machinery or you work with people, whether you work in the hospital or you work on the living room floor with your kids, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus and do it well. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as, a, as Michelangelo painted or as Beethoven composed music or as Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. That's how we worship God. We do it well. We do it for Christ. We see it as a chance to worship God by, by actually doing it with gratitude for the ability to be able to do it. We do it well. We do it for Christ. And we do, it for, or do we do it with gratitude? No matter what your calling is, look at it with a genuine desire to serve others and to serve the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we rejoice at the great calling that you've given us, and yet at the same time we stand nervous, we stand guilty of not following out this charge. And so we ask for forgiveness from you and ask that you would shape our hearts and our minds to look at all of life, including our work, including our calling, our vocation, as an opportunity to serve others and to serve you. Help us, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.